the toughest job you'll ever love. In the mid-80s, there were commercials that came out from the United States Peace Corps, if you remember those. And what would happen is there would be an international who would come out and share a story of something that was devastating in their country and how these volunteers came in from the Peace Corps and how they helped address a need. And then the commercial would end with, join the United States Peace Corps, the toughest job you'll ever love. As we're talking about tools for wisdom, today we're going to be talking about parenting. And I want to challenge that motto that I just shared with you, that perhaps parenting is just that, the toughest job you'll ever love. I'm a parent of seven. My oldest, some of you just went, oh, we'll pray for you, Kenny. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) And some of you said, we're going to pray for your kids. (laughs) Thank you. Um, uh, But as a parent of seven, I've, I've recognized that there are, there are times where we just, we knock it out of the park like, man, pat myself on the back, great job, and there are many strikeouts too. I don't know anyone who goes through this batting a thousand. Uh, this, is, this is a tough, tough matter. And we're going to walk through it today from the perspective of the scriptures. So there's going to be something, parents, for you. And children, something for you. And if you're saying, well, uh, I'm I'm not a parent. Okay, well, you're a child. You say, well, I'm 70. Yep, you're still a child. And that's okay. Uh, There's something here for us today. And we're going to walk through some scriptures together. The data has come in, and it's very clear. This is what the data has to say. That the way that we view God is strongly impacted by the relationships we have with our parents. So the way that we view God is impacted by the way that we, or the type of relationships we have with our parents. Now, that strongly leans towards the father figure in the the data, but it is true for both parents. Sometimes this can uh, cause, it causes a variety of things, but one of those in bad relationships or difficult relationships ends up becoming uh, anger towards God or a view that God may be angry towards us. It could also be that God is absent. He, he doesn't care. He's not present in my world. The data points us towards uh, that, that, that reality. So we can see that parents play a big role in the way that we view God. So what does God have for us? Now, having said that, I think it's really important that we pause and we recognize something. And here's what I I want us to recognize together. That even though the data states that the way that the, the relationships we have with our parents impacts the way that we view God, even though that's what the data says, the reality is that God does not reflect our parents. We do. We're broken. We live in a fallen world, and we reflect that. God does not. And so we have to, we have to step back, and we recognize that uh, the institution of family, one of three institutions that's ordained by God, that God has a plan in that. And in the institution of marriage, a part of that plan, uh, obviously, is pointing us toward God. That, that's part of it. But that's not the, uh, exhaustively what it is. So let's jump in to this together. 
And before we do, what I would like to do is pray for you. And I, I recognize that this topic of parenting uh, can trigger a lot of feelings. There can be wounds, there can be hurts, there can be, uh, and, and maybe it's not because you had bad parents, maybe it's just because your, your parents have passed on. Uh, and this is, this is a tough topic to address. Or maybe it's this matter of shame. Yeah, I'm, I'm a parent and I've struck out way more than I've hit the ball and, and I'm struggling today. Okay, uh, we'll get that. This topic can cause uh, a, a, lot of, a, a lot of anxiety. And I recognize that right up front. I'm going to try to be as gentle as I can while still getting in the word and, and pulling out the meat uh, uh, that we can eat together. With that in mind, would you stand and just let me pray for you uh, before we begin, I just I just like to extend this prayer to you. And again, if you would be willing to just with your palms up to say, Lord, whatever you have for me, I'll receive. And whatever you want to take, you can have. And whatever that may mean for you, the Spirit of God knows. Let's pray. Jesus, we come before you today. And first of all, we want to thank you for being the perfect God, the perfect parent. And Lord, we recognize that we are going to fall short of of your perfection. <laughs> and our parents fell short of your perfection. And as we come together today, Lord, it's, it's really easy for us to get, kind of get lost in thoughts. And so I pray that you would give us clarity of mind and heart as we focus our attention on you and see you as the model and the giver of parental uh, 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 principles that, that extend life to us. And, th- and that's what we want, Lord. I think, Lord of Malachi, even today, and, and uh, in Malachi, how you, at the end of the book, you, you, uh, your spirit reminds us that you are going to call the father's hearts to their children and the children's hearts to their father. And I, I pray today that you, you would do even that. And that, Lord, we would just offer ourselves to you, asking humbly that you would give us our daily bread even now. For your good glory. Lord, we can't come before you and ask these things without also confessing. And we also confess our own weaknesses. As children, Lord, we have at times disobeyed. Lord, as parents, we have at times erred. As followers of you and children of God, we have at times sinned against you and done our own thing. And for these things, Lord, we ask for forgiveness, knowing that you, you say that you will forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness, and we would just offer that to you now at the foot of the cross. And it's in Jesus Christ's precious and holy, holy, holy name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for allowing me that. Well, let's talk about where we're going. I'm just going to highlight four areas. The first area, we're going to identify some lies we tell ourselves. The reality is that there are uh, cultural voices that speak to us that we sometimes drink of and become a part of our regular diet that affect and infect our parenting and also uh, our relationship as children to our parents. We're going to identify a few lies today. We're also going to identify some truths that we live in. So what are some truths, some realities that we live in? We'll talk about those for a moment. This is going to be a big one. 
And it's where we're going to spend a bulk of our time. And I would strongly encourage you to get pen and paper ready as we talk about the gospel in our homes. Because this is such an abstract concept. We're going to see some um, uh, solid examples of, of what to do and who to be. And fourthly, how to more closely follow the Lord in our homes. How do we calibrate If we're going off course, even if it's one degree, how do we calibrate? How do we get back on track? And that's what we're going to talk about as well. So, do I have your permission to go that direction? We good to go? I'm so glad you said yes, because that's what we were going to do anyways. All right. Let's go. Identify some lies we tell ourselves. Here's one of the first ones. I'm going to let my child decide who and how they want to worship. Before we read that passage, let me explain. First of all, all of these lies have an element of truth. Our children eventually should have the ability to decide how they're going to worship and who they're going to worship. Their faith needs to be their own. But it doesn't always start that way. Uh, There needs to be an example. And we see it in Proverbs 22.6. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Let let me pause there because I see a lot of people take this as a promise and it's really a principle. There are a lot of issues uh, that, that we could jump into and I'm actually going to talk about it a little later in the sermon. What I want to focus on is the train up a child part. So, Uh, We're called in Proverbs to train up a child. We're called in Deuteronomy to train our child. When they go out and when they come in, we tell them of God's mighty hand and how God took us out of slavery in Egypt and into the promised land. That sounds like an open dialogue. That sounds like some humility as we have conversation with our children. The first lie that I see a lot of people accept as truth from the very beginning is we're going to allow our child to make their own decision who and when to follow, which means I'm not going to bring them to church unless they want to. I'm not going to open the Bible and read it unless they ask. Uh, That's a mistake. It's our responsibility to teach and to train our children. Now, when I say that that's a mistake, that's not said to shame any of us. That's not the point. It is a course correction, and that's the challenge. Let's keep going. B. We're friends. Element of truth. We should be friendly with our children. The reality, our children have plenty of friends. Uh, They only have us as parents. Uh, We're parents first. And sometimes that means correcting them in ways that we won't enjoy. Sometimes that that means having difficult conversations. Uh, But the question is, do, do we love them enough to have that conversation? And then as a child... Are we willing to accept those conversations? Is it possible that we're not perfect? Here's what Proverbs 13, 24 says. Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Now, uh, what we're not talking about here is the the issue of capital punishment, of spanking. That's That's not the point. The point is discipline. Do I care enough to speak into my child's life truth? To direct them when they start to go off? To bring them back? Well, here the idea is if I'm not willing to discipline them, uh, I, I actually hate them. That's the principle. We're friends. I, now, 
you might be thinking, well, how does that say we're friends? That's a good question. I would encourage you or challenge you to try to discipline one of your friends and see how that goes. <laughs> not, not too great, right? <laughs> hey, I was thinking, if you don't turn around, I'm going to take this belt off. No, don't do that. But the, the, the point is, we, we wouldn't, that, that's not a friend relationship. That's a parental relationship. Here's a third one, and I'm going to look at it first from a child and then uh, as a parent. Uh, sorry, let's jump ahead. This should be easy. Like, okay, uh, I, re- I remember early on, my wife and I, when we were dating, we were talking about getting married, and oh, that's going to be great, and we kind of romanticized it a little bit, and oh, it's going to be wonderful, and once we get married, everything's going to be the best, and oh, we'll have kids, and Cindy, I really hope they look like you, and she said, me too, and then <laughs> that hurt a little, but it was fine, we moved on. This should be easy, and it's not. It's not easy at all. Uh, there's this element of flesh that drives us, right? And then there's this world system that First John talks about, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life uh, that we're surrounded by. It's not going to be easy. Scripture says, folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. Again, folly is bound up. If we are left to our own devices, we're not going to do well. Uh, Our default in the flesh (laughs) is to do wrong. It's to look out for ourselves. It's not to treat others uh, as we would, yeah, to treat others as we'd like to be treated, right? It's not that. It's not going to be easy. And we see that with the child. Uh, Folly starts right. I mean, okay, I'll just tell you, my wife is wonderful with babies, loves babies, which works out perfect because we had seven of them, right? So she did, she did great with them. I am horrible with babies. I mean, I'm not mean or anything. I just, like, they don't want me. <laughs> they just want mom. Uh, mom is the one who feeds me. Mom is the one who takes care of me. When you're at work, mom is the one who cuddles me. I love mom. I want mom. Ah, And then we'll start to see how this child even at a very early age starts to play mom against dad and dad against mom folly is bound up in the heart of a child you don't have to look very hard to see the truth of that statement how about this this should be easy okay parents all have sinned and fall short of the glory of god who's all every parent for the wages of sin is death uh what's the wages of sin death from who the parents everybody we've all sinned So it's not going to be easy from the child's perspective. It's not going to be easy from the parent's perspective. It's not going to be easy corporately when we all get together. It's going to be tough. And then you start putting multiple personalities together and you have all kinds of issues. Let's go ahead and jump to the second. Let's talk about some truths now. Obviously, there are more lies than that. We we could do that all day. But those are some big ones that I wanted to target. Here are some truths that I also want to target. The first one is parenting is a spiritual matter. Parenting is a spiritual matter. If we just try to will it to happen and dominate, it may get us some ways, but it's not going to get us all the way there. Uh, We may get our way for a short time, but eventually that behavior, that domination breeds rebellion. 
This is a spiritual matter. And a fine line that we walk as parents. How do I, how do I love them and direct them without pushing them in such a way that we create rebellion? That's a tough line. And if I had it figured out, I'd write a book and I'd make millions of dollars. But this is what I know. It's a spiritual matter. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. This is a spiritual matter, and we have to address it in a spiritual nature. One of those ways is through prayer. One of those ways is in God's word, making sure that we are, uh, we are immersed in the word of God. It's big. And then that, that actually gives us some, uh, some wisdom for ourselves because we're, we're bound in wisdom. Like we, we have limits on the type of wisdom that we have. But in the Bible, we're, we're able to, to lean into and gather additional wisdom that is made available to us. It's really big. It's a spiritual matter. Respond that way. Here's another one. God's the best parent. God's the best parent. Uh, we see God perfectly, right? He perfectly fulfills the role as parent. Having said that, we also have Adam and Eve. And Adam and Eve walked in rebellion even though God didn't dominate them, as I said earlier. They still had a choice. This is what I was talking about earlier when I was mentioning uh, train up a child in the way that they'll go, and when they grow old, they won't depart. And many of us want to accept that as a promise of God. A promise of God is immutable. It's not going to change. If, if, if this, then this. It's a promise. But that's a principle that I just mentioned. Train up a child in the way they'll go, and when they grow old, they won't depart. That's a principle. And there are a lot of factors. Flesh is one of those factors. Uh, a temptation and giving in to temptation is another factor. So for God, here he has Adam, uh, who he created in his own image, and there was rebellion. So I, I, I share that with us to remind us uh, that, that even with God, he has Adam. He also has a son, Jesus. Now, what's the difference well, one of the things that we can identify, right, like without even digging in very deeply, like at the surface or maybe at the core, depending on how you want to look at it, Adam we see in rebellion, Jesus we see in submission. And so the challenge for us is just that. Do we live our lives in rebellion or do we live our lives in submission to God and the authorities that God has granted? Good question. Glad to ask it. See. There are no guarantees in parenting. There are no guarantees. God is the best parent, but there are no guarantees. We may pray for our children. Uh, we may uh, read the scriptures every night. We may rightly apply the scriptures, and there's no guarantee that at the end, that child is going to follow the Lord perfectly. Any of you, when you found out that you were pregnant, uh, got a book on parenting? We did. Uh, as I said, I have seven children, and uh, we read the book, and on the first one, perfectly. Like, I'm like, this is pretty easy, actually. Uh, the book says to do this. We did this, and look, 
just like the book said. And then we had our second child, and we did this, and the child did not do that. And what? Like, they share DNA, and they are, they are so different. How can this be? Well, because there are no guarantees. And each one is a little bit different. Each one is a little bit different. So now that we've identified some lies, we've talked about some truths, uh, let's jump in and talk about the gospel in our homes. If you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to go ahead and turn to Ephesians. This is, this is a great passage. Uh, we're going to start in uh, 521 and go through 6-4. This is a great passage that's going to uh, highlight some things. As you're turning there, I, I want to put some more context around the scriptures. Looking at the scripture as a narrative from Genesis through Revelation. Some things that have occurred. One, we see in Malachi, in Malachi chapter 4, verse 6, they're talking about the Messiah. And just before the Messiah comes, uh, Elijah is going to be present. And one of the things that's identified when the Messiah comes is that the hearts of the fathers are going to be toward the children and the hearts of the children are going to be toward the fathers. And we see that initially in, uh, Jesus, in, in Jesus coming, right? I mean, uh, John the Baptist represents Elijah and the, the hearts of the nation is pointed towards, towards God and there's, you know, I mean, there's some uh, division as to what that means, but uh, anyways... So when the Messiah comes, the hearts of the Father will be towards the children. When the Messiah comes, the ch children's heart will be towards the Father. I don't see an end date on that. What I mean by that is that if the Messiah is in our homes, then the context is we're going to have a heart for our kids. If the Messiah is in our homes, we're going to have a heart for our parents if the Messiah is in our home. Having said that, there were believers who had Jewish background and believers who had Gentile, uh, or uh, now we'll just say Gentile backgrounds, okay? Because there were variations of deity that they worshiped. At any rate, the trick now is for the church to get on the same page. What does parenting look like? And you could say that parenting in the first century would have looked a lot like parenting today. In the Roman Empire, the things that were acceptable and the boundaries on them were pretty wide open, similar to today. And the early church is trying to figure this out. How do we, how do we reflect God? Because our, our, we, we see that there's a responsibility we have as parents and as children. And how do we reflect God in that? And so we see this laid out in Ephesians chapter 5, and I'll, I'll read through it. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Stop. Submitting. Did you catch that? Wherever we go from this point on in this passage, the context is submitting to one another. Submitting to one another. The idea that we're going to see in just a few moments is that under this umbrella of God, so if I'm going to follow God, if I'm going to be under this umbrella of God, then I have this responsibility to follow God. And in following God, one of the greatest things I can do is serve. 
I'm going to submit. It's not about, oh, are you telling me that the Bible says uh, be walked on, be a doormat for everybody? I, like, we always want to go to these outlier ideas. Uh, well, can, can we just say that it means submit and serve one another? Like, can we just start there? Does it mean this other stuff? I don't know. Jesus went to the cross. It may, but I, I, don't, I don't think that's the intention. The intention is right here, to serve one another. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So why do I do it? We get our motivation. Jesus did this for me. He died on the cross for my sins. God's not asking me to go to the, the cross for the sins of the world. He's not asking me to do that. What he is asking me to do is to love my wife, to not exasperate my children. That is what he's telling me to do. So there's submission to my family in that. Let's read it. For the husband is the, I'm sorry, I skipped a part. Somebody's going to call me out on it. That wasn't my intention. Why? <laughs> or maybe, maybe it was now that I'm looking at it a little more closely. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Uh, again, who's supposed to submit? Everybody. Uh, what's the idea here? To your husband, not to others. It's to your husband. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. What's the idea? Fathers, husbands, you're responsible. You're responsible. One day we're going to stand in front of God and we'll be responsible. How did we lead our homes? Uh, how did we care for our families? How did we submit to our wives and to our children? We're responsible. That's the identifier there. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. They're a team. We're in this together. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. I am yet to hear a wife go, you know, I don't think I want that. Uh, I, have I never heard that? What I have heard are, are guys kind of pulling away from that. So it's a challenge to us as men. Uh, how, do we, how do we love as Christ loved the church? Well, what did Jesus do? Well, Jesus gave his life for the church. In a day-to-day -day sort of way, in preparation, in planning, he cared for the bride. And ultimately was willing to go to the cross. Ultimately was willing to raise from the dead. Ultimately, he gives his spirit to the church that the church can have life. What am I saying? I'm saying that the point, husbands, is to extend life into our families. I don't want to miss that. So that he might be present. Oh, let me back up, sorry. I get ahead of myself. Get excited. That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Look at the care that Christ gives his church that is supposed to be reflected in the position of the husband. Kids, if there are some young men in this audience who are thinking about getting married, this, this is the goal. This is what God is. This is the ideal. It's not going to be easy. This is the ideal. In the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. There is a care element that uh, the husband gives to the wife. 
because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. The mystery is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So here the, here's this other side, okay? So uh, husbands, love her, love her. What is the way that we submit to God? Well, one of the ways is that we love our wives. Wives, what is one of the ways that we submit to God is that we respect our husbands. And just very frankly, again, study after study has been uh, done. The identifier here is that men tend to want respect and see love in that way. Women see love a little bit differently. A little bit. Again, that's a blanket statement. I recognize that. Someone will want to talk to me later. I get it. I will agree with you. So just so you know, uh, let's continue on. Chapter 6, verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. The fifth commandment, remember? This is the first commandment with a promise that you would live long in the land that the Lord your God has given you. That's the promise. That it may go well with you and that you may live long in that land. So let's look at this. If a father is submitting to his family, if a mother is submitting to her family, if a child is submitting to their family, then there is this beautiful orchestration that represents God and his beautiful church. That's the ideal. That's the ideal. Verse 4. This is important as well, and I, I appreciate that that the Holy Spirit knew this needed to be in there. It would have been really easy for us as men, uh, especially uh, dads who generally are the disciplinarians, not always. My mom was the disciplinarian in my home growing up, but generally men are. And, and, and this is a good reminder because we can very easily become rough. We can very easily overdo it. We can very easily move towards dominating and actually wounding a spirit. And that's what he gets to. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. There are books and books and books about this verse. We obviously don't have time to address all of it today, but keep this in mind that there is a way that we, at times, maybe even have to step back and with a clear mind speak into this. I want to tell you that this sermon is, um, to date, the hardest sermon that I've had to preach here, partly because there was a conflict with one of my children over the course of the last couple of months. And we've been working on it, and it's been really difficult. And it's like we take two steps forward and three steps back, and there's been this challenge, and, and I'm going, oh, great, and now I have to preach a message that I know uh, is, a, is a point of contention in my home. That's fantastic. Uh, what I realized, though, is that the Lord was doing something also in my own heart. And this issue of pulling back, okay, is this in the discipline and instruction of the Lord? And as we sat down and just started to walk through the scriptures again with cooler heads, uh, with a little bit of time between the, the incident that I'm speaking of and the situation, boy, the Spirit of God moved. And it was a beautiful thing. And I, I'm, I'm not saying, again, that we bat a thousand. We don't. There are a lot of strikeouts in this. But it's been a beautiful thing. 
and this issue, uh, if I would have provoked my child to anger, there wouldn't have been that opportunity to walk with them in discipline and instruction. That's true for all of us. It's a general principle. Let's look at the fourth thing now. How to more closely follow the Lord in our homes. There, has anybody done this? Like We've tried this. Um, uh, family devotions, we've tried them early in the morning, we've tried them late at night, we've tried reading scriptures, and it seems like there are these seasons where they work really well, and other times where it's like, this kid goes to work, and this kid has a school thing, and I have a church thing, and Cindy has this thing, and we're like, ah, uh, I feel like I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Uh, you ever been there? Been there? Yeah. That's a tough thing, and those are seasons. And I, I want to tell you before we go any further, uh, and it, kids, if you're in the home right now, if you're still in the home, and you may wonder about this, I'm going to tell you a secret. All parents struggle with shame. I am yet to have a parent come talk to me that hasn't said, oh, I, just, I just feel like there are these times when I haven't, I've blown it, and I'm struggling with shame. And I, I just want to tell you, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 8, 1 and 2. And that's an important thing for us to grab a hold of as we're trying to calibrate our home. There is probably not a one-size-fits-all. And there are probably seasons where things work better than other seasons. Give yourself a little grace. But do it. Walk in those seasons. Embrace those seasons. Accept those seasons. Because they're going to happen regardless. Fear of the Lord. Proverbs 9.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. What do we mean by the fear of the Lord? Is there a respect coming from dad and mom that, that saturate the family? I'm not talking about, you shouldn't say it that way. Oh, did you just say, you know, like, no, that's not what I mean. I mean this holy, humble uh, relationship with God. God is important to me, and I also uh, recognize my weaknesses and my flesh. Proverbs 9 and 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning. Go back to the beginning. When you feel like you're off track, when you know that you're off track, go back to the beginning. Where's the beginning? The fear of the Lord. Let's keep going through it. Proverbs 129 and following, because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, would have none of my counsel and despised all my reproof. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their way and have their fill of their own devices. Again, there is a principle here. And the principle is if we're not going to follow wisdom, uh, then we're, going, we're left to our own devices. Romans chapter 1 identifies it this way, that if we continue to reject the things of the Lord, God will turn us over to ourselves. And that's it's pretty wicked. It could be pretty wicked place to be. Continuing on, for the simple are killed by their turning away, and the complacency of fools destroys them. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. We're going back to the gospel. We're sinners. We need a savior. Jesus is the one who saves. He's the one who gave his life that we would have life. When I received Jesus, the Spirit of God was given to me. Uh, that Spirit of God is growing in me, changing me, transforming me from the inside out. And I need to go back to that truth. Maintain the fruit of the Spirit. 
Here's another element. In your home, do you see the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Is that present? If those things, and by the way, it's fruit, not fruits. It's not plural. It's fruit. It's singular. It's a, it's a nine-cluster fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Are those things present in my home? If not, it's time to calibrate. And the final thing here is forgive. Forgive. As I said, we led with this one, right? Parents are going to mess up. Kids are going to mess up. There's folly bound in the hearts of a child. Uh, They need lead. Also, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We've all messed up, and we need forgiveness in our home. That needs to be a part of it. And some of you may be saying, well, you know what? My parents would never say, I'm sorry. Good thing that forgiveness doesn't depend on that. Good thing that forgiveness doesn't depend on that. We can ask the Lord uh, for a heart like his. In fact, in Jesus' own prayer, Father, forgive them of their trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Father, forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. The idea is that we're constantly in that state of forgiveness. Forgiveness, by the way, does not justify behavior. Forgiveness, by the way, does not say everything is okay. Forgiveness does not in any way, shape, or form okay sin. Forgiveness is just, you don't owe me anything anymore. That's all it is. It's not restoration, and it's not reconciliation. Uh, At the end of September, there'll be a seminar that we'll be doing called Resolving Everyday Conflict. I strongly want to encourage you to come and be a part of that. Uh, In that seminar, we'll be addressing forgiveness in a very deep level. I I hope you can join us in that, so be watching for it. This is also a good place for us to remember the Lord. Forgive. That it came at a great price. That Jesus was willing to go to the cross for our sins. As the worship team comes, we're going to prepare our hearts for communion. And we're going to do it in the context of God, our parent. You may have uh, your... What are these things called? What is this? Well, I know it's, an el- I know it's the elements. I know that. But it's like this package... Let's, say, let's call it communion package or something, right? Okay? <laughs> I'm going to stick with communion package. Um, uh, if, if you need one, they're in the back. If you can't get up and get one, if you raise your hand, I'm sure someone will happily get that for you.